Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, remember, Brian, I grew up listening to the radio and, and never going to record stores or buying albums. If you're going to play a Sammy Hagar track, though, I'm going to, I have to leave. I got some bad news for you. If you're going to play Why Can't This Be Love or something, I'm, I'm done. I'm off the body. I will not we, try, we tried to warn him, dude. We <laughs> tried to warn him. I will not stay for the playing of that song. I Brian, assume. you actually came because of Tim. You got to let Tim be Tim, man. I'm just giving no, you. Who can be Tim? But I will not. And the day of Eddie <laughs> you don't Brian, have to win this, huh? I cannot be a part of a travesty like that. Um, I, I will say it's been great to talk to you, gentlemen. I wish you the best, and I'm going to take my I'm going to take my leave. <laughs> I will not be part of a podcast that plays the same thing as long as the best. Well done. Fifty years of music with fifty-year-old white guys. tonight and we are very pleased to be here man and we're ready to do this thing this yes. is 1992 uh are you guys graduating from college in 1992 i am i'm a year out i'm a i'm one year into the branson experience and oh, i believe right. i am joined this fall by a young ben barton who is uh looking for something to do with his Wait, life and decides did you the teach thing to teach at branson no he just lived with me in my apartment for a year Oh, awesome. Not only did I not teach at Branson, <laughs> oh dear, 1992 to 1993, I go out to California to live with Jeff, uh-huh. and I get a part-time job. I'm going to go to law school, so I get a part-time job okay. at this nonprofit housing discrimination place. It's a pretty badass job, and it's a great organization. I really enjoyed it. Okay, but as you can Sounds imagine, good. that was not super lucrative. <laughs> right. So I made my actual living driving a school bus, including okay. at jeff's school isn't that the greatest <laughs> so, so jeff's students would get on the bus and they like hey man mr simons knows the bus driver what <laughs> happened to you like did you hit your head like you have a lobotomy why is mr simons a teacher and you're the school bus driver oh <laughs> gosh awesome that year. is rough that oh is rough. yeah for sure it was well, a great year. My, 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 my most common memory of that year is being awakened on the weekend by, by Ben cursing at Knicks games on an early Saturday morning <laughs> broadcast uh, or being woken up with Ben trying to win Madden 92 with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, oh, which was wow. almost impossible. Trent Dilfer? 
Wait, so many things were accomplished that year. It was great. It was it was great. We, we used to go shopping together at Safeway, and we'd be like the like nice couple shopping together at 11 p.m. It was we had a good I, time. I've seen that apartment, Jeff Simons. It can't really fit two people. Oh, there was a whole bedroom I never used. It was it was we were we were cozy. It worked okay. out for us. All right. Well, good. Well, 1992. What about you? You were graduating, was, right? No, uh, I, I, uh, I went to a five-year college, Northeastern University, the co-op program, five years. So I was, I was working at the Boston Globe, which was really, really cool to be doing that uh, as I went through college. So good year, 92. I actually- oh, So two of you guys were actually accomplished that year. I'm just, I'm, 92 is a real <laughs> loser year for me, for sure. <laughs> I played a little mad in myself. Um, but Dude, I'm, one ex- of my, well, I'm sorry, one last yeah. highlight. Jeff forgot- <laughs> I would be Uh-oh. like, hey, man, did you have a hard day? We should go get some onion dip and ice cream. Yeah. And then he'd like finish all his grading. I'd be like, you know what you celebrate with? Onion, onion dip, dip and ice cream. cream. It was. It was a hey, great. Hey, I'm kind of bored. How about some onion dip and ice cream? And that I'm was sorry, like the whole year. Why are you putting these two things together? What, what are delicious. They? Do you live in America? Together? Onion dip and ice cream is the way to go. Salt and sweet. Not in the same bowl, but you, you have an entree of chips and onion dip. And oh, you okay. clear your palate with a quart of ice cream. It's <laughs> okay. actually a pretty nice way to live. We also, <laughs> we, yeah, we had some misadventures that year. It was really fun. I have, I have fond memories of 92. Me too. For well, sure. this is this is going to be a terribly abrupt uh, transition because it sounds like all of us are in pretty good places. Although uh, Ben's ascendancy awaits him, um, <laughs> but I'm going to bring a real downer because I am going to introduce the Grammy winner for 1992, and I don't even know if I want to talk about it after we hear it. It's the Grammy winner. Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. Tears in heaven. That what we have. The tears in heaven have come for us now. That's it. That's I it. wouldn't I'm know done. your name. I'm sad to report. I wouldn't Stop. know who you are. Stop. Oh my gosh. So I mean, that's a that was a news story from 1991 that was just kind of took your breath away. Like, wait, what happened? Uh, and then to have a song to follow it up. I, I didn't even know how to process that. Can we move on or do you need to say something? I was, well, you, what you don't remember is the song was written for the motion picture Rush, where Jennifer Jason Lee plays uh, an, uh, somebody who wants to be an undercover narcotics agent and falls what? for a drug dealer. No. Jason Patrick. He wrote Jason it for Patrick, his son. a very good Patrick. drug dealer. He right. wrote it for and his Sam, son. Sam Elliott is in that movie, glowering over Patrick's shoulder. <laughs> often, that's pretty good. It was his great prepper post Roadhouse uh, role. Um, okay, I've always found this song really problematic for a bunch of reasons. The first being, um, it's kind of spooky and creepy to profit so dramatically from a moment of uh, horror, of bad, of bad parenting, and uh, second. Uh, it's one of those songs that the first time you hear it, you're like, oh, that's pretty. And the second time you hear it, it's so formulaic. Like when you learn how to play the song on the guitar, it's like guitar 101. Like it's all these really kind of classic first chords you learn when you're 12 or 13 years old. And so there's something kind of irritating for me that Eric Clapton, who is- that's, I was gonna say- Say what you want about Eric Clapton, but he's a virtuoso of the fretboard. And for him to rely on these kinds of like, hey, look, I could play A major um, to write the song uh, has always bothered me. I, I have uh, a, yeah, I have a disconcerting like, 
hate, really hate relationship with this song. And it marks the end of my forgiveness of Eric Clapton's Oh, me too. Big time. I hate this song. And um, basically the Clapton journey, like he really starts meandering in the 80s. Like he's really searching for a sound. And there's several different records in there where he's like, you know, trying out synthesizers and drum machines. And you're like, how hard is it, man? Like, listen to Robert Cray play that. That's what we're asking for from you. It's not confusing. But he got really lost in the weeds there. And then it's like just a disaster that this was the life raft. Like, there's a different version of it where one of the rock songs hits and he goes back to doing the thing that he's useful at. But this sends him on the wrong path and like by a mile. Like he never recovers. I was like, whoa, that's that's kind of a cheesy bad folk song. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I had just, enough of bad love. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so uh, it's interesting. Like this is a, uh, a game changer, right? Uh, the unforgivable song that Eric Clapton gives us. And like you can't hear Eric Clapton again right because of this song i wonder if there's i wonder if there's a reverse in our future where we take the best songs from artists who we just can't stand and, and can't forgive for their transgressions you mean like the if, one song that you like you if, give a pass to if we force ben barton to pick his favorite elton john song like what, oh, what is yeah, he yeah, no for sure uh, we should do that sometime because because eric clapton has some great stuff and oh, yeah, yet, for me, I for can't me get past 92. Uh, this song, the song for me with the bands I hate is One of These Nights by the Eagles. I love right. One of These Nights. That song is smokes and, and uh, it makes Wait, no you sense like it, you say. I love One of These Nights, yes. But that was what the that two dudes oh, really? do so in I, Hawaii. I know, that's why it's so great. It brings me I right back. I have the back. long run. I have the long run as my favorite Eagles song. That's not your favorite Eagles song? No, no, One of These Nights. It's a bass line by Joe Walsh. That boom, 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 boom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, look, we 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 came out of that with something positive. I was fearful when we started that conversation. <laughs> oh, dude, and also listen, you softened us up. I don't know if you yeah. remember, there were two different songs that were "Wind Beneath My Wings." I'm not even going to mention what the <laughs> second song was. We had the same crappy song in a row. I hate this song. It's a disaster. It ruins Clapton's career, and it's like yeah. the fifth best song we've had since 1969. And that's not yeah. a joke. That's yeah. not a joke either. Wow, that's so rough. That's oh really, really awful. All right, well, let's talk about the uh, the goings on in 1992. We have an election. Uh, Bill Clinton wins. Uh, ben Barton, can you name the third party candidate? Was it Ross Perot? It was Ross Perot. Jeff Simons, can you name his vice presidential nominee? Admiral Stockdale. Excellent. Well done. Where am I? Where am I going? The Sunday Night Live version of him was so good. <laughs> Phil Hartman is the dog that gets left on the side of the road. It was amazing. <laughs> Right. That was, I mean, it's funny. Like I always think of that VP debate as one of the all-time stinkers. But after this last Tuesday, that was oh, that boy. was like Shakespeare. Those guys. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. It really was. All right. Well, this is also the year that the United States has its uh, awful Black Hawk Down incident in Somalia. Mm-hmm. Eighteen U.S. service members are killed uh, as the United States is trying to uh, coordinate with a UN force and 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 feed the Somalian people, but there's a, a civil war going on and the United States is drawn in. Jeff, do you think the victory goes to Clinton more because of Somalia 
or more because of Ross Perot? I think Perot splits the vote and causes uh, costs Bush the election. All right. Well, we, we will be right back on Meet the Press. I mean, that was a hard hitting political was, question I had. Dude, and you. I should also note, I read that book <laughs> and I've seen that movie like yeah. a half a dozen times. Just all timers. And yep. also like if you want to understand asymmetric warfare, like right. it's yeah. the best text for that. It's amazing. It's a great book. Um, but yeah, I, I can't imagine trying to figure out how to then pull your soldiers out of Mogadishu when it's just a beehive. Um, yeah, and the movie gets at that really well. Oh, yeah, totally. All right. The, what, my, the other interesting question is, how much is Ross Perot a harbinger for where we are now, right? right. Like the the use of the hyper, you know, the oversimplified yep. message, the over-reliance on media to communicate the message, the outsider status. I mean, am I... Am I, oh, I think that's not right. I really strongly disagree. Dude, Ross Perot bought a half an hour ad... Right. And he talked only about the deficit and he showed graphs. It Do was you remember amazing. This? Yeah. He was like, it. he picked up an actual graph. It was like, look at this. It yeah. keeps going up. Like that's completely different than what we have now. He was actually like, whatever else you think about him, like he had an actual substance to his message. He was not a liar. He wasn't a cheat. He wasn't a huckster. He might've been misguided, but I mean, like, he actually presented an issue to the public and argued about it, in my opinion, in a helpful way. And it was all, all about the deficit, right? That was what I, he, he went, you know, that the Bush wasn't conservative enough. Now, Trump, just on that one issue, though. Just right, on that Trump would say Bush isn't conservative enough on, on other, another issue. He's uh, like, when's the last time they locked a kid in a cage? He's yeah. not doing it. <laughs> he picks up a graph. Kids in cages. You can see it here. And maybe that would work at the next debate. Maybe Biden should hold up some some uh, some pictures, like the uh, hands-drawn stick figures, you know? Yeah. All right. Also, be quieter. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Also in 1992, um, CDs passed cassettes as far as uh, music sales. More CDs are sold in 1992 than cassettes for the first time. Uh, is this a sad moment for you record store people? Oh, I hated cassettes always. They sound like shit. They had all that hiss. This whole like hipster thing about, oh, we've got to bring cassettes back. I was like, let's, let's bring back... Uh, you know, I know. Let's let's bring back outdoor toilets too. You know, like I mean, like you really want to be hipster. Like, let's get some lime and a hole in the backyard wait, and go to wait, work. Don't like, don't cassettes sound better than records? No, they sound no, way, way worse. worse. And in oh. fact, record records sound better than CDs that sound better than cassettes. Cassettes are just the dog pile. Oh, so it was the just, death. Okay, the death of vinyl was sad, but the death of the the, the cassette, the purchase cassette, like that had to go. Yeah. That's wow. Like, actually, the death and CDs is the shortest one of all. Like CDs had like a 20 year window and now they're coasters. It's incredible how uh, quickly yeah, that that medium. I mean, and I mean, I don't know how many of you bought DVDs, but 
they're not worth anything. Let's do the invitation to cynicism. It is in 1992 where Euro Disney opens. Oh. Now, you might think I'm coming at you with a Disney question, but I'm not. I am instead going to ask you what opened as well in 1992 that has become the largest tourist attraction in the Midwest, garnering 40 million visitors annually. What Branson, is, Missouri. It is not Branson, Missouri. What is the largest tourist? Is it Dollywood? It's it not, Dollywood. not Dollywood. That's not in the Midwest. Okay. The Midwest, I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling with where that would like. It is a structure. Is it the Mall of America? It is the Mall of America. That is correct. I went Dude, to the Mall of America there? in 1992. Did you? Yeah, I was there. Like it was been open for like three weeks, and like there was seventy-eight wet. acres. Seventy-eight yeah. acres. It's I was huge. flying. I was flying back to San Francisco and had a six-hour layover at the Minneapolis airport. Uh-huh. And I got off the plane, and there was a sign like "Free Shuttles to the Mall of America." And I was like, "Well, I got six hours." So I took <laughs> the shuttle and I walked around. And what I remember in 1992, like only three fourths of the stores were open. But there's an amusement park in it, like Snoopy Land. But there were there were nine candle stores and two bookstores. <laughs> and I just remember, I was like, I'm learning everything I need to know right. about where we're headed as a country from that what's is in the that place. invitation to cynicism. Oh, right wait, there. dude, I have a grown up version of this. Okay, so go ahead. I actually went and gave an hour long paid talk to okay. the judiciary of the state of Minnesota. And needless to say, it was. At the Mall of America. Oh, God. In, uh, like Hilton that's next to it. So I <laughs> You get up spoke in, the morning, in there. I get, well, I mean, at the Hilton. Yeah. There's like a yeah. big room where they're there and I'm on at 10 a.m. And so I get up and I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? Is I'm going to go in the Mall of America and I'll get breakfast at the Mall of America. I'll get sure. coffee and then I'll be ready for my talk because I, okay. I like to be caffeinated. So I went in. And I like looked at the map to try and find a coffee place. And I found a couple and I started walking and I was like, I'm going to fucking miss my talk. Like I'm going to be lost in this hideous labyrinth. I literally like took the breadcrumbs back to the door and was terrified to go forward later. I couldn't make heads or tails of the map. It was like a map of the Titanic. Like everywhere. I was like, what's going on? So I remember when the bus was pulling up to the mall like the Mall of America, you could see it from forever away. Uh-huh. Like it's enormous. And then there was this shitty little brown building right next to the mall. It's like, why haven't they, what, why'd they build that? That was the building where the Minnesota North Stars played hockey. And oh, it looked wow. like a, it looked like a shed. Like a little next box. To the, I was like, that's a 15,000 seat arena that looks like a cardboard box next to, that's what gave <laughs> me the, the sense of what a big building it is. Wow. All right. Jeff Simons, let's go to the number one hit. I believe before I play this, that this broke the record for most consecutive weeks at number one, that this, and still holds the record. This is the longest consecutive song at number one in the history of the American pop charts. Wow. It's the number one hit. End of the Road by Boys to Men. We belong together. And you know that I'm right. Yeah. 
good? We good? We good? We haven't gotten to the best part. Okay, sorry. You don't have it yet, Ben? It's voice to man, right? Yeah. yeah. End of the road. Yeah. Ah, uh, I can't so let that. Either. I mean, Boyz II Men are good, and they have several good songs. That's not one of them. That song sucks. Yeah. Um, the no, the second biggest song for that year, "Baby's Got Back" by Sir Mix-a-Lot. Right. The third biggest song, "Jump" by Crisscross. Yeah. Both like Love vastly that. superior. Love that. Yeah. And by the way, "Baby Got Back" is like an all timer. Can't distract. Yeah. I mean, even White Boys got a shout. Like, I can't say <laughs> enough about that song. All right, uh, Jeff Simons, we are thinking of setting up uh, a new podcast um, as soon as we run out of years in 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Um, the new podcast will be called uh, The Olympics with Jeff. So in order, nice. to get, in order to get this off the ground, you just have to answer, where were the Summer Olympics in 1992? Barcelona. Awesome. And specifically, where were the Winter Olympics? Oh, I don't know if I remember. You had Barcelona very quickly. Yeah, because remember Dan and Dave were going to be the whole thing, and then they, one of them didn't qualify for the Olympics. So oh, they were that like, was that year? That oh, was Dan and Dave, cool. I think. Oh, shit. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get this right. Nagano was 98, and Lillehammer is 94. And so I don't know where they were. No, this is 92. I know. Oh, I'm trying to start backwards. The, they started doing the alternate. They started doing the okay. back and forth. Um, I, I don't, I can't. Give me a hint. Come on. I've been so good. Uh, okay. It is in France. Oh, then it's in. Um, <laughs> we don't have a second podcast. Chamonix was 1924. No. <laughs> and then uh, what's the other French town? <laughs> you did not yeah. have it. It is. Albertville. Albertville, right. All right. Damn it. I'm going to uh, boo Jeff on that. That yeah. was weak. <laughs> I know, I couldn't <laughs> That was the worst all. performance you've turned in yet. I can't no, believe you get Albertville. Well, uh, the uh, the 50-year-old white guys go to the Olympics podcast will Ooh, um, not be happening. I think it's good for everybody. What was, was any, did anything famous happen at the winter 92 Olympics? Is that... I, 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 my American research, my research didn't take me that far. Oh, they okay. had some right. delicious French wine and raclette, for sure. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the impossible question. Uh, Eddie Van Halen died today. Uh, sad news kind of took us off a second, but we are going to try and figure out which was his greatest riff. And to do that, we've invited Brian Koppelman, writer, director, and Van Halen nut. Yeah. Hey, they're, they're gone as well. Hey. hey, Brian, how are you? How are you, fellas? Nice I'm an OG Rounders you. guy, so I'll just leave it at that. I won't say anymore. Love it. Great. <laughs> well, thanks so much for, for stopping in. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Brian Koppelman has hit his head uh, and he's awoken in our podcast and he's trying to figure out what the heck he's doing here. Uh, it's like reverse being John Malkovich. He's like, woke right. up, like what, the, what the hell am I doing in this? Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, Tim, Tim and I have followed each other on Twitter for years. I mean, right. before, I mean, really, but I think pre-billions maybe. And yes. so yep. uh, Tim is an old, you know, anyone who was 
interested in what I had to say on there before uh, Billions and that I noticed enough to follow back. You're, you're my guy, Tim. So when well, you ask, I'm, I'm happy to do it. I, I was with you in the, the pre-TikTok days. What, what was it called? The little uh, videos you would do? Fine. Fine. Yeah, I loved Vine. 2013, 2014, yeah. yeah. That was terrific. Somehow well, TikTok is not the same. I can't quite. I like watching TikTok, but I haven't figured out how to make them yet. Right. Well, well uh, Brian is here because we are going to have a little Eddie Van Halen love fest right now. Uh, we all got the sad news today. I was coaching volleyball and, you know, I've got 12 girls looking at me for directions and I'm like, no, no, Eddie Van Halen just died. Like I didn't, I, I can't go on with, with the practice. Uh, can, can, I th- where, can I, can I just, since I'm here with you guys, can I ask where everyone's from? Like, where is everyone recording from? So okay. I'm here in Asheville, North Carolina. Yes. Knoxville, Tennessee. Great. Awesome. Berkeley, California. And all right, I got to know, how do all of you know each other? Like, what's the thing of this podcast? If I may say, I am the glue of this organization. So <laughs> Ben and I are, are college best friends, and Tim and I are grad school best friends. Awesome. And then they become buddies separate from me with their, uh, their uh, southern proximity. Right. Uh, sure. And then this was, this was Tim's I'd idea. Like, I see the Bonnaroo poster. Are you, are you all educators? We are. Yeah. Yep. Uh, ben teaches law school at the University of Tennessee. Uh, wow. Jeff and I, Jeff and I teach high school. Great. Awesome. What do you teach Jeff? I teach uh, English and uh, music. Great. And Tim, remind me what you teach. Cause I, I, t- I really, I'm supposed to come to your class and I haven't, and I will. Oh, that'd be great. That, yeah. I teach yeah. American studies. So, great. and we, right. I, yeah. And we started this uh, in the COVID times, uh, you know, you were talking about sending out creativity and like positivity and, you know, it's so easy to get down. Uh, and, and this is, you know, Franklin Leonard, Brian? Of course. I love Franklin. So yeah. Franklin came up with this idea of a birthday playlist. I, I don't even know if he would say it was his idea, but you go back and pick the best song for each year you've been alive, but nice. you can only use a band twice. So then you're, you, then you're kind of locked in and you're trying to figure out what is the best song. And so we cover the Grammy winner, the number one hit, and then we present our case for the, best song of the year uh my song is always the best and these go- these two guys try very hard of, of every year or of just the year yes so you're on the 1992 podcast right now so we awesome. started we started in 69 and uh it's yeah. 1992 right now we do one a week and tim has unquestionably established himself as the music <laughs> aficionado of the he's going to make the final determination so are you going to make is. the final determination on which van halen riff is the best one is that i think your- i think that should fall on my shoulders absolutely Gentlemen. most most qualified to do so <laughs> so yeah. Brian- last question i'm going to yeah. ask before we go is uh, uh, ben what, what do you teach at law school because i i went to law school i never i graduated wow. but i never practiced so I'm, oh very I'm- nice I teach torts and contracts, and then I do a fancy A2J lab with programming and access to justice. Contracts is so, uh, a good teacher makes contracts the absolute most fascinating course you take, and a a teacher who's not that engaged um, makes it the worst class, I think. Torts is torts. You (laughs) you can guess which one I think I am. But yeah, no, I love it. (laughs) My contract professor, I loved him so much because of the way that he would ask us questions, and it lit up. It really lit me up until I loved it. I, that's great. All right. Fascinated by everything. And, and Jeff, what books are you, what grade are you teaching? I teach uh, 11th and 12th graders. My, uh, I, I, my focus is African-American literature. So I'm teaching an African-American autobiography class in the fall. And then I teach a class in race relations in 20th century Los Angeles in nice. the spring. And then my music class is half rock history and half 
performance. So it's a fine arts class where they make a band, but there's also, oh, a, especially great. in these are times you where you can't play together, we do a lot of uh, history as well. Do you, do you teach Richard Wright in the, in the autobiography? Class? I have, yeah. It's not in this year because it's truncated, but like it usually goes um, the Jacobs and Douglas slave narratives into selections from Up From Slavery and Souls of Black Folk and then Black Boy and then Malcolm X. And I close with Song of Solomon because the, the conceit yeah. is that African-American art has this expectation of authenticity that other American art forms don't feel because the origin is autobiography. And so we look at how Morrison tries to pay homage to the past, but also kind of free yourself from it. I love it, man. Uh, I mean, yeah, no, that's uh, fascinating. I've, I mean, I read all those books and I know them uh, well. And, and, uh, well, you should come to my class too, then, man. Have you read the new, um, uh, Malcolm X book. I haven't read it yet, but people. Oh, the Maribel biography. It's great, but I haven't. It's, I haven't read it's it yet. phenomenal. It's actually the most. It's, it's amazing you bring that up. I was just talking about it in class today. Like the, it's one of those well, like moments I was of piped in to hear it. But no, so go ahead. No, it's you know, one of those uh, moments <laughs> of scholarship where you're like, I can't, I can't believe uh, what a work. It's like when uh, Gene Fagan Yellen fact checked incidents life of a slave girl and found everybody like Maribel right. tracks down pretty much every anecdote and he's able to figure out which ones are probably fabricated it's how it's much of the remarkable. red stuff how much of the red stuff is true like how much of what the life red lived is as depicted more, by Haley is true yeah more than you would think and actually I, this, it's amazing you're, pick, you're reading my mind but there's a famous remember the famous anecdote where he's got the friend Rudy who sprinkles talcum powder in the old white man that's oh, the yeah. only guy they can't find. And Maribel's thesis is that's almost surely X hiding behind a second character because he can't bring himself yeah. to admit that he did it. <laughs> but he has <laughs> to tell the story because it was so traumatizing. Oh, so, yeah, awesome. It's great. Right. I really well, recommend it. Halen, but I'm super interested in this stuff. I've read the Haley book more than once, twice. Yeah, yeah it's great. Great. Well, that that is great. So we, we just got through. Our, you have uh, the other half of this amulet. Right? Yeah, <laughs> we just got through our political hour. Now it's a book club. I tell you what, this is this is a podcast for all folks right now. Um, all right, Eddie Van Halen, Brian, you, you're the guest. Do you want to go first? You could pick one or two like riffs, and Jeff is going to play them for us. Oh yeah, I mean, you have to start with Mean Street. <laughs> I mean, this is good. This was not on our list, so I'm liking it. All right, I'm getting ready. I, guess I'm, I wasn't prepared to. Uh, well, with Jeff, you're the musician, right? Grab a guitar and just play the Mean Street riff. They got it right here. No, I, I, we'll, we'll let Eddie uh, take it over. right there dang good so, yeah, stuff to me that album fair warning i remember when that i'm older than all of you and uh they were my favorite band when i was a kid and uh, my friends and i 
would wait and stalk the record store because you had to go to the record store. And, and uh, when we got that record, man, and we were all went over to my friend Ed's house and, and we all just sat down and, and listened to it together. I mean, you would do that then. It was a communal experience. You know, one, I think for mm-hmm. Van Halen, we probably all bought the album, but we went to Ed's house and I remember just sitting down in his bedroom and, and a bunch of us listening to it together and that came on and it just <laughs> destroyed us. You know, yeah. uh, we just couldn't believe how powerful it was. And, and the album cover has uh, this weird image of someone getting punched in the face and Ugh. they were a party band, but then suddenly they're, they're singing about this thing. That's not at all like uh, uh, a party and, and Eddie's riff is just the, the backbone of it. So that'd be one. Great. And then, um, and then I think my other one, if I'll give you two is like uh, not even strictly played just on the guitar and it'd be, and the cradle will rock, which he played on that weird, uh, he put the guitar through a bunch of stuff to make yeah. it sound like a keyboard, but it's, I think it is a guitar. So I would say on the cradle of rock would be my other big choice. Here we go. <laughs> Love it. Both album, both album track starters. And uh, I mean, I'm sure you guys are going to do Running With The Devil and all that stuff. But for me, uh, those two tracks are just uh, mind-blowingly cool. And, now, Brian, um, Brian, you said he played it through something? What is, what is the sound? How does he well, get he, that I, sound? You guys can, I mean, uh, you've heard it. Jeff teaches music. So, I mean, he can figure – when Eddie would play that in concert, they would bring out for the opening part of it that – Maybe he played it through a Leslie and some other stuff. I'm not sure. Huh. I'm pretty sure it's a Leslie speaker, which Tim is the big speaker that goes next to a Hammond organ that has a rotating oh, fan inside it. So, you know, when an huh. organ does that, like, whoa, 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 that's right. actually a spinning fan in the speaker. If you put huh. a guitar through it, it has some very cool, uh, wow. very cool after well, effects. I, mean, I could be wrong. It might not be a Leslie, but I think that's what it is. But, but uh, that's at the beginning. And then it's his guitar comes in after that. Yeah. Um, thing. That is so cool. All right, Ben, what do you got? All right, I'm going to tell two brief stories before I go. The first yeah. thing is I taught myself to play the guitar in the 80s. And Jeff can say for sure I was sloppy and bad. Okay. And so one of the ways you teach yourself to play guitar in the 80s is you buy Guitar World magazine <laughs> okay. and several other guitar magazines, and they have a thing called Guitar Tab in it. And what okay. they do is it's got the numbers for the strings in your fingers – and instead, because you can't read music because you're an idiot, you just okay. have to put your fingers on the strings where it says. Okay. So, for example, I learned how to play Sultans of Swing, the entire song and the entire solo from that. And I mastered it and I was perfect at it. Okay. I learned how to play Sweet Home Alabama from that. And I mastered it and I was perfect at it. And I kept building my way up the scale. <laughs> and so when I, I, I was like, I love Van Halen. Surely I can master that. Uh-huh. And that was a hard no. An extra hard no. Dude, this guy was a virtuoso, like unimaginable. Like I got good enough where I could hack out Hendrix. I got good enough where I could hack out Clapton. I never came in the neighborhood of wow. Eddie Van Halen. Um, and in particular, the, the way they would do it is they'd have the strings of the numbers and the numbers were your fingers, right? So it went okay. to five. 
Van Halen does a thing called hammering, which is where your other hand is working it. And so they would have those numbers in parentheses. And I was like, <laughs> what is going on? Like, that's not okay. And dude, so I tried a little bit and I gave up. And then I had the pleasure, and it sounds like Brian did too, you go see him live. And uh -huh. it was like going to see uh, like Tiger Woods live or going to see an amazing tennis player live. He was so fast and outstanding and he did it all live, like super calm. Like he wasn't pressing at all. Uh -huh. He was so much better than everybody else you'd ever seen, but he was just like another day at the office, just like hammering wow. off. The first time I saw him and he comes out by himself and he does eruption, I was like, there's no way he can do eruption. Like, how are you gonna do eruption by yourself live? Like, surely that was like, you know, <laughs> studio trickery. Right, nope. right. He just came out and shredded. And also it was like, actually, I wouldn't say off-putting, but it was weird how good he was. Like he was <laughs> not like jumping up and down and freaking out. He wasn't at 90% or 95%. He was like, I'm at 60%, you know, 55%. I'm just gonna do eruption and then move on to the next song. No okay. problem. Um, that being said, Jeff, uh, which one are you going to do? No, you, you, you pick. I'll do the other one. I'm perfectly All right. happy. Uh, my favorite Van Halen song is Little Guitars. And I'm going right. to ask Jeff to do the, the classical acoustic part into the full song. Okay. there yeah how why do i not know that song that song's great why do i know jump it on, for pete's it sake was on diver down that was on diver down and and there were only uh, like five original songs on diver yeah. down it was a weird album because it had pretty woman on it and it, it had dancing in the streets on it which i love and where where have all the good times gone on it okay it strange short album it was like their least commercially successful it was a dip before uh 1984 came uh, out okay people but Little Guitars was the best song on that album by far. And then the other originals on it were like Big Bad, Bad Willow, Sweet William, it's like a, a clarinet song or something. Yeah. So 
it, it was uh, a strange, uh, a strange album, right? Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, no, totally. Well. But actually, I mean, Jeff will agree. This is our favorite. Yeah. I love that record. I love that record just exactly for the weirdness of it. It was like they they were like, oh, we got thirty minutes of material. Fuck it, put it out. And <laughs> yeah. this, like the the, the the classical guitar intro. I've described this guy before as a searcher and it's perfect. Like he was just, a he's crazy, doing that too. Crazy, crazy guitar. Nut. Dude, that's him. Oh yeah. Tim, he did that on his second album, a song called Spanish fly, which is the yeah. same thing on Van Halen two, where he played the uh, um, acoustic guitar and, and like led to a whole bunch of people doing it. Like Randy Rhodes did it on this track called D on the first. Ozzy okay. album. And th that was what Eddie, br you know, Eddie brought that in, in a way to this sort of modern. Now, is he grow? Anyone know about his childhood? Is he is he growing up being yeah, we classically? All, yes, we all know. I'm, I'm yeah, sure those hit me, know. hit me. Is he classically trained? His father. I mean, any go of redhead, go redhead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you asked me on this for. A re I've read every single book. Every oh yeah, book. okay. Great. What I'm talking yeah, about. No, there's nothing about this. I. Yeah, I mean, his father was a, a musician, a classical musician. They grew up playing classical music. Oh, and, okay. And in the family, they're all trained. They were all trained musicians. Uh, Alex, Alex started on guitar, Eddie started on the drums, and they switched. And oh, fun. They oh. grew up with a musician as a father. It's how he earned his living. And, um, and he, it's Jan Van Halen. He played on Big Bad Whip. He's playing the clarinet. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, so, yes, Eddie grew up with all that. Uh, wow. And he takes that workmanlike approach to it, for sure. Like, he's a total professional in everything that he does. It's amazing. And uh -huh. a total goofball. And that, for me, is the Van Halen magic. Like, I wasn't a heavy metal guy. Right. But but you have to love Van Halen because there's so much fun. Like the thing that 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 heavy metal and the imitation of Van Halen missed was all the joy and the fun, which is why Diver Down is my favorite. Right. All the guys who copied Led Zeppelin copied all the heaviness and the and the like, you know, bustle in your hedgerow stuff and missed the funkiness. Similarly with Van Halen, they copied all the speed and the and the and the metallic edge and left out the fun and that mm. diver down is so fun the covers are great hang em high is a great original on that record secrets is an underrated song oh the like, full bug the full bug is great and it's great because <laughs> there are these moments where you're like this is rock and roll at the absolute top of its game like right on the edge everyone's playing their ass off and then the next song is really is just takes the wind out of the sails like the workmanlike thing is really interesting with Eddie Van Halen. And the thing that's creepy about his like barely trying is the, the bands that wanted to be them, those guys were like, they took themselves so seriously and they're right on the edge of everything they could do. And Van Halen would come out, you know, a little drunk and a little, you know, like workmanlike's <laughs> perfect, right? Like this is a gig, but all it is is a gig. Like art is short for Arthur and we're going to play and then we'll go, we'll get paid and we'll go to the next gig. But um yeah, I love uh, little he, guitar. I, I just love Eddie little guitar. Lived with that guitar. That's why it was so natural for him. Oh, yeah, totally. never, everyone, you know, uh, everyone says uh, he never didn't have the guitar uh, just with him every place that he ever went. Like, you know, he would just walk around with it on. As soon as he came off stage, he kept it on. So I think <laughs> it was all just a part of what his life was. He was just in the flow. And so. Yeah, he was just in the flow the, the whole time. That's, wow. you know, you remind, that's a perfect description. You remind me, a friend of mine uh, was at, in Vegas last summer and uh, coming out of a place at two in the morning and LeBron James was coming the other direction with two of his buddies. And it, uh, LeBron had obviously had a couple of drinks and his friends were making sure nobody got too close. And LeBron was air dribbling. 
He was just like, <laughs> he was just like working. He was just practicing. And I think, I think of Eddie Van Halen, the guitar, LeBron, like even when LeBron doesn't have a basketball, he's got a basketball. And it's that same kind of like lives and breathes the thing. Um, you All know, right, the, well, sne- the, the sneaky underrated instrumental that he did, which is also on Diver Down is Cathedral, which is a one take volume knob solo. Let me just play a little quick bit of that. hammering notes and he's turning the he's actually working the the volume knob on and off so you don't hear the you don't hear the the hit you just hear the Uh sound so he's playing but you hear the sound a quarter of a second later so he actually has to be thinking in 16th notes like play and hear it so it's like play here play here play i'm sorry that was a guitar yeah it's a guitar and it's a one take you don't hear the attack Right, you just hear the you just hear the note. See, yeah. But that's not my pick. I'm, I'm cheating. All right, my, sorry, I'm cheating. going back to to fair warning for my favorite. Uh, okay. Little little guitars is, and this one are tied for first. Um, and I couldn't agree with you more, Brian. That uh, fair warning changes everything because they go from being a party band to being like fair warning and diver down are both less than thirty minutes long and they're super weird. And if diver down is all of uh, like overdoes the silliness van halen fair warning like embraces the darkness right it has those two really creepy instrumentals at the end but my favorite 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 van halen song intro is unchained and sure The lower strings are usually tuned to E. Uh-huh. This is a, this is down tuned to C. It's two full, like to play along on the bass, you have to down tune two full tones and your string is so loose. And I mean, it takes a, it takes a lot of control to play with a guitar tuned that low. And, uh, oh, and the first the time through, riff. he doesn't, the it, harmonics are where your right hand touches the string halfway and creates this high pitched, it's basically an octave up from it. And so the first time you hear it, it's just gug, 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 gug. If you listen carefully, the second time it goes gug, gug, gug. It's like yep. making yep. noise. And that's because it's doing <laughs> harmonics along with it. The chords themselves are not complicated to do at all, but that bass string you cannot reproduce. Like yep. it's impossible. And of course he would do that live. Like he, that was no problem for him at all. Just amazing. Yeah. Tremendous feel. Wow. So that's my uh, Unchained that's, is mine. That's a great, great pick by you. Um, and so, Brian, you fell in right with them. Nice try. Uh, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> you all came up short. Uh, I have the greatest riff. Uh, remember, Brian, I grew up listening to the radio and, and never going to record stores or buying albums. If you're going to play a Sammy Hagar track, though, I'm gonna, I have to leave. I got some bad news for you. Man. You're gonna play "Why Can't This Be Love" or something. I'm, I'm done. I'm off the podcast. I will not. We tried. We tried to warn him, dude. We Listen. tried to warn him. I will not stay for the playing of that song. I Brian, swear. you actually came because of Tim. You got to let Tim be Tim, man. I'm just giving no, you. Who can be Tim? But I will not. And the day of Eddie, you don't have to witness it. Huh? I cannot be a part of a travesty like that. 
Um, I, I will say it's been great to talk to you, gentlemen. <laughs> I wish you the best, and I'm going to take my I'm going to take my leave. <laughs> I will not be part of a podcast that plays the Tony Higgins song as a podcast. Well done. Thanks so much, man. Awesome. Oh, such a pleasure. Wow. That was That's amazing. I love it. It's I great. love that guy. The next time you say that we're too rough on you, I'm going to remind you that your guest left. <laughs> that you was, tried wow. to even hear your selection. Wow. Oh, tough get. That was magic. I tell was you what. I mean, we should have like really set him up and played like a song by Extreme or something, you know. And then he would have what? Wait, what's wrong with Sammy Hagar? So, well, Jeff, you want to say? <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I'll say. I actually had a really funny conversation with George about this. We, I listened through. We listened through a half dozen or maybe a dozen Van Halen songs. Uh huh. And she was like. Does he write the lyrics? And I was like, no, he doesn't write the lyrics. She's like, really? I was like, yeah, no. In fact, not only does he not write the lyrics, there are three different singers, maybe four different singers in the band. Yeah, and right. She was like, why? And I was like, oh, he doesn't care about that at all. Like, he just doesn't care yeah. for that. Um, and so the Sammy Hagar thing, the, the David Lee Roth thing is, is cheesy, but kind of funny in spots. Right, the Sammy, right. the Hagar thing just takes the joke too far. And he adds the keyboards to it. He learns all the wrong lessons from Nick 84. So that entire era yeah. is ruined for um, Ben Halen fans. Who's their third singer after Hagar? Is Gary it the guy Sharon. from Extreme? Is the guy yeah. from Extreme? It is. Okay. I believe so. <laughs> yeah. That, that era is, I don't think anybody really, like people are just trying to forget that. But uh, Jeff, choose I, your song. Oh, go ahead, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Well, here's the thing about Sammy Hagar. It's like, first of all, Sammy Hagar is a really great guy. I uh -huh. actually have two, I have a friend who's played on a Sammy Hagar record and I have a friend who has flown in Sammy Hagar's private plane with okay. Sammy Hagar. He's a local guy and he's like in the clubs, in the bars. And when he likes you, he is a good friend to have. So I have All nothing right. about personally, he's, he's, he treats everybody like he's the most, they're the most important people in the world, but he, he brings a seventies mm. like like he's yeah. the I can't drive 55 guy. And when you right. put that with Van Halen, it either, it, it elevates his thing in a way that's weird or it takes away from Van Halen in a way that yeah. they're just not, it's like bacon and ice cream, those two guys. They're, they're all right separately, but they don't work so, together at so all. So was there, I'd rather have you guys discuss this and listen to my song. Was there a singer uh, that would have been a better replacement for David Lee Roth? What would have, what would have worked better than Sammy Hagar? Because I'm, I, I fully agree. I can't In drive 55. I can't, I can't, I don't know. I love this question. Jeff, see if you agree. I'm going to go with Paul Rogers of the Firm. I was just going to say that. Paul Rogers say. of the Firm is the obvious answer to this question. Paul huh. Rogers, Tim, was the singer in Free that did All Right Now, All Right Now. Yeah, yeah. And also is the lead singer of Bad Company. And then oh, becomes God. the lead singer of The Firm. Really? Friend, Same guy. I got to give credit where credit is due. My friend Cal Caprista has the perfect line on Paul Rogers' voice. Uh -huh. Paul Rogers' voice is so good, it's almost creepy. He sounds like somebody trying to lure you into the trunk of his car, which I think is just That's perfect. the perfect description of that guy's voice. That is perfect. Um, we're right. going to play 10 seconds of your song, Tim. Tim, pick this one. One, two, one, two. <laughs>
the thing. Yeah. You talked about this with Angus Young, the, the idea that Angus Young is the lead singer of, um, of ACDC, you know, in his guitar. Like, I think that guitar in that particular song uh, trumps whatever Sammy Hagar oh. might take away. Totally yeah, no, agree. that was fine. That's yeah. good. That's good. You know what? I have a soft spot for that song because it's the only Van Halen song I learned how to play on guitar. Oh, it's right. so funny. Like, you, you know, the Hagar era is rough because like, like Ben, I can't play anything from the Roth era. But I actually, <laughs> that song came on MTV in 88. And I was like, I bet I could play that. And by the I end of the that. afternoon, I could actually play it. I was like, that must not be very good if I can. If, That's hilarious. If I can All squeeze right. it underneath my fingers. So Let's get to our three songs. Our three songs. Who goes first? I go first this week. Let's go, in Jeff. Fact. Um, I'm going personal this week, even though this is a great song by a great band, but it's not it Smells Like Teen Spirit. Um, so uh, Ben may remember this, but when we were, I think this conversation probably first happened in 1992. We were playing the, if we could play like or sing like anybody, okay. like who would it be, right? Like yeah. if you could have anybody's voice. And I chose this guy in 1992 as the voice I would most want to have. And I still stand by my choice. He's not the, he's probably not the best singer, but when this guy sings, it, it just gets me every time. I just, there's, there's just something about the way uh, David Hidalgo sounds when he sings that I believe anything he'll say. So this is the best song from the best album by a band that I deeply admire and have seen play a dozen times. And they have a wonderful backstory. And I think in 1992, they were at their absolute peak of everything, like as a live band, as a creative studio band. So in 1973, a bunch of teenagers in East Los Angeles get together to play uh, a friend's quinceanera. And they learn a bunch of old Mexican folk songs to make their grandmothers happy. And they're playing them on old traditional Mexican instruments, like the, the kind of bass that you that's as big as a stand-up but you play sideways mandolins acoustic guitars and they're a big hit in the backyard and people are like hey you should do that again so they they make up some business cards and present themselves as like a traditional mexican folk band for backyard parties and they call themselves uh, los lobos the wills um yeah and they they play and they play and they play and they become they they actually grow some notoriety with kids their age they start playing dances they start playing parties and unexpectedly the combination of their kind of traditional folk songs and the and the 60s rock and roll that they love right. their enormous fans hendrix cream that that first wave of classic rock that all mixed together becomes a soup um and hidalgo and his uh, best friend cesar rosa start writing songs together and because Los Angeles is a city where when something is cool, people want in on it, they actually find themselves signed to Slash Records, which is a, kind of a new wave subsidiary of Sire. And they, the first thing they do is record all of the folk songs. And they make a little, they make a little EP. They bring it to the record label. And like, well, we'll release that locally in the local, you know, Mexican record stores. But we were actually looking for a record we could sell to everybody. <laughs> right. So they make a second record, an EP. They throw a couple of, of these kind of new Tex-Mexy, rockabilly, rock and roll songs they've written. And a bunch more of uh -huh. these kind of folk songs sped up. But finally, the record company convinces them to put out a record. In 1984, they put out a record called How Will the Wolf Survive? Right. And it's a smash with critics. 
and they're they're building a following. They're building a uh, a kind of curve for themselves, and then the absolute worst possible thing happens creatively and the best possible thing financially they're chosen to pretend to be richie valens for the la bamba movie right. starring lou diamond phillips so when lou diamond phillips sings come on let's go la bamba and uh donna in that movie it's uh -huh. los lobos and los lobos's version of la bamba is a is a number one hit it make it sells seven or eight million copies. The La Bamba soundtrack is an absolute runaway smash. It's a gargantuan hit. Like gargantuan, still... gargantuan hit. Right. And it pigeonholes Los Lobos as the Mexican band that sounds like the other Mexican guy. And that's, that's it. it. America's yeah, like, okay, it. so Me Mexicans write La Bamba and they sing it every and 30 years. It. Yep. We'll check in later. There's, the next record they put out has a bunch of great songs on it, but it flops. Then they put out a, a, another album of traditional Spanish folk, uh, Mexican folk songs. That, that doesn't sell anything. So this is a band suddenly that goes from this huge hit to being on the edge of being dropped. And they could have gone back and tried to like, hey, remember us with a good time band? Yeah. <laughs> Instead, they decide to go for broke and become uh, like the most interesting version of themselves that they can become. They hire a guy named Steve Berlin to join the band and act as the in-house producer. They make a great record called The Neighborhood, which is the transitional record to this one in 92. In 1992, Los Lobos hires this production duo, Mitchell Froome and Chad Blake, who are making these really interesting, weird sounding records with all kinds of artists. They make one with Richard Thompson, they make one with Suzanne Vega, they make one, like if you look up Mitchell Froome and Chad Blake, they have a really amazing run in the early 90s. And what they use the studio to do is they're great. It's, it's kind of like if you put a band through like a midnight clowns nightmare production. Like <laughs> The sound, the sounds become very angular and wooden and they use all, you know, they, they take xylophones and put them through compressors. And Los Lobos comes up with a 16 song record that is a folk, it's kind of like Coco before Coco existed. It's this kaleidoscopic, beautiful record with all these colors and ups and downs and story songs. And it's, it's a record about Mexico and a record about Los Angeles and about the distance between the two. And my favorite song by far from that record is this song. When the Circus Comes to Town by Los Lobos. Good stuff. 
really great. Yeah, my favorite is Dreaming Blue from that record. Oh, you're right. That, yeah. That, that record's spectacular. Um, and you, you, you described it perfectly. Like they took the leap and it was bold and brazen and it really, really, really hit. Yeah, it's great. And uh, well, Dreaming Blue is great. Um, Peace is great. Wicked Rain, Two Janes. It's just like, it's rare that a 16 song record doesn't have a draggy moment, but it's really, it's so good all the way through. And they they pull it off live. And it, it's the beginning of a series of really interesting, great sounding records in the 90s. Not as good as this one. This is the unquestionably the high point for me, but uh, I love Los Lobos. And I'm I so happy Los they're Lobos, still around yeah. and still playing. And they were really... They're just a great story about friendship and time and perseverance and growing as you grow up. And, uh, and I admire them quite a bit. Well, I, I love that they're on our podcast now because I do think every once in a while of, of posterity uh, and our kids one day listening to these podcasts or dare I say our grandkids listening to this. I'm, I'm glad that Los Lobos got a shout out. Like think of all the bands, like the fact that we don't have talking heads, like, Oh, that kills me. Um, there's a band I might pick tonight too, because I, I just because I want this band recognized uh, before they go on. So great stuff. I love Los Lobos. Well, all right, the Tim Seal of approval. I can. Yeah, <laughs> is that now something? I can now I can leave the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So when when we last left our heroes, the Beastie Boys. Yes, hey! we're finishing off the License to Ill tour. They were on a year and a half tour and that's their that half of the record sales are from that stupid record. The last show that they play is the last time they ever play fight for your right to party. And they are completely done with that version of the beastie boys. Wow. They pull off the road, they sober up and they are very surprised to find out no one who's not them is surprised to find out that they're not getting all the royalties that they should. And they're not getting paid by their management. Uh Oh, so they get in a full-on pissing match fight with Ruben and Def Jam and um, Simmons. And this is a running theme through the stupid 80s and 90s. Like Prince has a breakup with his record company. Just last year, we have stupid George Michael yeah. fighting with his record company. Right. The Beastie Boys break with Def Jam, sign with Capitol Records, and they're off and running. So... Their second record, which is actually, in my opinion, the best Beastie Boys record, and it really hurt my feelings not to choose a song from Paul's Boutique. Their second record is, in my opinion, the best sampling record ever. It like precursors DJ Shadow and precursors all of these different people who just do these sound collages. It's a demented sound collage. It's a super extra mega New York record. Like they're all in New York. They're going to New York record stores. They're just doing these samples all the way through it. It is not a hit. It sells a couple hundred thousand records and Capital is like, what are we doing with these guys? Mm. They leave New York. They fly to LA. They renovate a warehouse. They put a <laughs> studio in half of the warehouse they put a basketball court in the quarter of it, and then they build a half pipe for skateboarding in the other part of it. Okay. And they camp out. Capitol Records, this may be apocryphal, but the Beastie Boys tell this story. 
they're so disinterested in the Beastie Boys now. The Beasties say, we're going to start recording what, like, basically they're talking to the album reps. The album rep tells them, we're much more focused on the Donny Osmond comeback record. Oh, wow. Get back to us when you have some tracks. Oh, wow. No, they're completely cut loose. They're in the wilderness. There's a version of this where they put out a bad record and they're completely forgotten. They go back to their roots. Remember, they started as a hardcore punk band. They start practicing again with their instruments. They get a keyboardist named Money Mark to join them. And they're just hanging out in LA. Every morning they wake up, they get high. They go to the same diner. They go to the same record stores. They buy a bunch of records and they go back and they have a listening thing where they hang out, listen, play basketball, skateboard, and then start cutting tracks. The first version of the record is all instrumentals. They pitch a version to the label where they're like, we're an instrumental punk funk band. What do you think? And the label's like, we're not paying attention to you, but we're not paying that little attention. Like, that's yeah, not no, okay. No. We're going to have to come and shoot all of you before you put out that record. That's actually half the record. Half yep. the record is the stupid instrumentals that they cut. And this is a dirty secret for a person who's a gargantuan, massive, huge BC Boys fans. Fan. The instrumentals aren't that good. They're fine. Um, it's the, it, what the instrumentals stand for and what they build for with the hip hop that's what's so completely. Okay. So they take the best of it all. They take the best of the sampling. They take the best of this new instrumental. They learn to play their instruments and they're just in a full sound exploration. And like, there are people who can't stand the Beastie Boys because they're white rappers, and I get that. Um, and there are people who can't stand the Beastie Boys because there's no Kid Rock, there's no Eminem, there's none of this obnoxious, there's no uh, right, right, none of this stuff without the Beastie Boys, and you can kind of blame them for that. Um, but that being said, this is the record and ill communication. But this is the record that, in my opinion, that you point to where you're like, this is a, a unique exploration and this adds something this is a completely different thing and it's actually sort of connected to the van halen thing often imitated never come close hmm. people heard this and were like well i'll just do this same thing never right. ever, ever like they captured lightning in a bottle it's an amazing sound there's actually three songs that i love equally on this record jimmy james pass the mic and so what you want I listened to all three of them on loop today and I'm going with past the mic. Jeff, please play until we get to the people are talking. Pass the mic by the Beastie Boys.
Yeah, so that last line wow. is a super famous <laughs> line for our family. Uh, my beloved wife, Indy Kincannon, is a politician. And so you can imagine she takes a lot of heat. And we will uh -huh. regularly do, the people are talking. <laughs> That's but that's because they haven't got a thing to say. <laughs> like it all the way out. We love that. Uh, um, and then for me, like the lyrics are so stupid, but super lovable. Like, yeah. like Timmy Walker, I'm dynamite. Yeah. That's a killer that's a great reference. Sense killer of humor. Reference. Hilarious. Um, and when I'm in a particularly good mood, I'm really grooving. Sometimes I'm cooler than a cherry pop with ready whip topping. Like it's just the best. These yeah. guys. Um, I love this record so much. I'm so glad you picked this. Hey, dude, I'm so glad uh, you the picked sample, it. the gong, gong, gong. Yeah, what you is that? that one? No. I can't place it. It's Bad Brains. Isn't that amazing? Oh, of course. Of course it's Bad Yeah, Brain. and then That's the later perfect. one, they've got a... Yeah. And that's Hendrix. This record is just packed with... But the best sample on this record is in Funky Boss, where they have Richard Pryor doing his scared laugh in the beat of the song, where he's like... <laughs> that one makes me laugh. I've heard that a hundred times, and it makes me laugh every single time. It's so great. I love, I love this. I love this record. This record is the record of 1992. Like every music fan I knew had Check Your Head and was obsessed yep. with it. Like Deadheads loved it. Punkers loved it. Everybody. I mean, it's just it, in the moment, it didn't sound like anything else, but it sounded like a hybrid of every of all the ingredients we loved from other things. I just couldn't agree more. And I would have picked uh, Jimmy James second for this year. So Ben and I are right, we're right on it, so. Well, I, I love the idea of the uh, the 50 year old white guys podcast getting a clubhouse at some point. Like, oh, just, ah. that would be so fun. Going to the same diner every morning. If, if uh, shit keeps up, I'm up for the weed too. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm they're breaking this, the world's breaking me down, man. I'm trying to be good, but good it's lord, been a, it's been a tough week. Tough week uh, for those in education. Let me tell you. Oh, that's a great pick. I've got I've got Beastie Boys coming up uh, in two years. Is it? When's their next? I album? hope it's not more than that. That means you're picking Intergalactic, but, <laughs> no, no, which I also like love. Yeah. Nothing wrong with intergalactic. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's go. We gotta get, we gotta wrap this puppy up. I am gonna go with Arrested Development, Tennessee. Tennessee by Arrested Development. Tennessee. 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 Lord, I've really been real stressed, down and out, losing. Although I am black and brown, problems got me pessimistic. Brothers and sisters keep messing up. Why does it have to be so damn tough? I don't know where I can go to let these ghosts out of my skull. My grandma passed, my brother's gone. I never at once felt so alone. I know you're supposed to be my steering wheel, not just my spare tire. But Lord, I ask you to be my guide and force the truth. He guided me to Tennessee Take me to another place Take me to another land Make me forget all the hurts Let me understand your plans Take me to another place Take me to another land Make me forget all the hurts Let me understand your yeah. plans
So that is Arrested Development and Speech Rapping. So in, uh, gosh, it must have been 2005, he came to my school. Uh, we had a, a civil rights day and we wanted to end it with a celebration. So I reached out to his management and I said, hey, you know, he's in Atlanta. What are the odds of him coming over to our high school? He, he contacted me himself. He's like, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to come over. Speech comes over with a dude with an acoustic guitar and the two of them get up on stage and they, they crushed it for like the last 45 minutes. Jeff, you closed out a Pace Academy um, diversity day with Rich Price. And, and, and like yeah. Speech, I answered my own phone in That's 2005. Right. I, I was available. Yeah, you were available. And, and Speech, <laughs> great guy. And I asked him, you know, in 2005, I guess it was, I was like, hey, what a, whatever happened to you guys? which is a bad question to ask yeah, man. when someone is still making music and cutting records. Uh, oh, but he was, he was incredibly gracious, great guy. And he's like, yeah, we're still, we're still making music. Uh, we still have a message. Um, but what happened was the, the record companies decided to go in another direction because this was a huge album. This first album, yeah, oh, yeah. This, I mean, it's the sound of 1992 that like, you know, you put the drum loop through a filter so it sounds like it's got the scratchy mm -hmm. vinyl like that was. Yeah. So many records use that. And I always think of uh, MTV's The Real World when I hear this song. Like that was frequently a background track same, when, the, when the real world yeah. guys were, were fighting with each other. Is this real world New York? I, no. or, San, or San Francisco. Like it, Huck. God, I well, I moved I moved to San Francisco the the fall when they filmed it and I actually like I remember I walked by the Stinking Rose in North Beach one night and there's all these cameras filming ah, like that's what it was three guys my age eating dinner I was like wonder what that is and, and then like six months later it was on television but uh, oh wow well anyways uh, love this song we would dance to this song and uh, and the the fact that I then got to meet him what 15 years later was a, was a real treat. He's still making music, by the way. Speech. And this is also Jeff. Hey, Speech, if you would like to come on the podcast, yeah. I would love to, to ask you what you're up to again. to have you. Uh, you just can't, you can't <laughs> jump me mid-podcast and jump somewhere else. Um, but ben, you're we, being very quiet. Are you not going to dump on Arrested Development? Or, you're no, all right? that song okay. is good. I like people every day better, but I have no beef with that band at all. That record is, is really good. And those, all those singles were, you know, they're a little bit cotton candy-ish, but, you know, I'm not going to argue that. Yeah. I, again, I love this idea of, like, college kids getting together and say, hey, let's, let's make a record. Um, I didn't do that in college. I did it in college. I just did it really badly. So. <laughs> He had me play on it. It was a problem. <laughs> that was a problem. It was sloppy, but I gave him the tab. He figured it out. Hey, all right, ladies and gentlemen, what a great night. Brian Koppelman appeared on our podcast. Unbelievable. That was great. And you then, set the bar high for our 1993 guest, Tim. I know, right? All right, guys, I'll see you later. Hang in there. I might be able to get my dad. There we go. <laughs> all right, let's do it. Let's do it. If you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Music
Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric acid.